just as we were singing Waymaker there, I don't know whether we could have the words to what the chorus of Waymaker back up on the screen. Just had a sense that God was just saying that there might be somebody here tonight who's at a point of just desperation, like just feeling like they really need God to do something in their lives, but they just feel like they're just desperate for it. And um, sometimes, I mean, some of us will be able to relate to feeling like that. Um, and I, I feel a bit like it now, to be honest. I desperately need God to help me with saying what I'm going to say tonight. I need God to help me with that. But we have a God that makes ways through the difficulty, that's a way maker through the darkness, through the difficulties. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And I just had a sense of God saying that tonight. If you do feel in that sense of desperation. There's a quote by um, Charles Spurgeon, which some of you will know who Spurgeon is. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says that he in his life learned to kiss the waves that threw him against the rock of ages. And to me, that's so powerful that he learned to see the difficulties and the issues in his life as things that he, he says he kissed the waves that threw him into God's arms. I just feel like tonight there might be one or two people here that just need to throw themselves into God's arms tonight. Um, so if that, if that speaks to you, uh, I just encourage you to pray with somebody at the end of the service tonight. Um, but our God is a, is a way maker, a miracle worker. Should we just pray quickly before we start? Is that all right again? Yeah, Father, we thank you that you are way maker, miracle worker that when we feel in a place of desperation, that we're struggling, that it's difficult, that you are the light in the darkness, that you make a way for us to get through, that we can trust you, that we can hold on to you, that we can throw ourselves into your arms. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And that links in a little bit to what we're looking at tonight, because looking at, uh, we're going to look at the next part of James together, and um, tonight, to be honest, I was talking to my wife uh, as I was kind of putting this together over the last couple of weeks, and we were talking this week, and I sort of said, this talk, in a way, watch me go and mess it up now, but it sort of has written itself, in a way, it's not difficult tonight, I don't feel, and it's not the type of thing that we're, I don't think, personally, maybe you can prove me wrong, but are going to go away and sit over a coffee table and debate theologically for a long time or uh, find, you know, difficult to pull apart. This is fairly simple and, uh, and straightforward stuff. It was like Ron Seal, you know, it does what it says on the tin. And James is, is like that as a book generally. It's very practical. There's a lot of nuggets in there. People talk about it being like the book of Proverbs from the Old Testament, just nuggets of wisdom. And it is like that. And tonight's really similar I found it really hard to preach through like large bits of James. I do a few verses every time because there's just so much in each little bit that it just feels like a disservice to it to do a big chunk and wash over it all. It feels like that we need to look at each little bit, and that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. So some of you might have been here this morning as well, and we did, uh, we did all together, uh, me and my wife Deb did all together this morning on uh, the first of these verses, James 1.19. And... Um, you might, if you were here this morning, uh, kind of have a bit of an understanding about what we might be looking at tonight. I'm a youth worker for the church. Um, I, I'm one of the youth workers here. I work with 11 to 18-year-olds. And one of the things that we do is we play games often at the beginning that kind of link into what we're going to talk about to try and get us to think 
and work through um, what we might be looking at. And Richard, who's uh, in charge of all the filming and stuff, uh, asked me if there's any copyright issues tonight in any of my PowerPoints. And I don't think there is, but we are going to play catchphrase, OK? So you might have noticed up on the screen that I called this talk Sticks and Stones. And that might kind of get your mind thinking about a famous uh, catchphrase or, or something that you might have heard in the past, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But I thought we'd play catchphrase just to get our minds kind of thinking. Tonight's all about the words that we're using and how we use the words um, that we choose to use and how they come across. So what I want to know is how many of these catchphrases, they're well-known catchphrases, I think, can you guess? So if you're going to make notes tonight, you might want to write them down on a bit of paper. If not, you can note them down on your phone, or you can just keep them in your head. Absolutely fine. See how many. I think there's six. So I'm going to give you, uh, this is kind of, so, so Mr. Chips, did anybody watch Catchphrase? Uh, is it still on telly? Okay, because I used to watch it years ago, and I think the guy that used to present it when I used to watch it was a guy called Roy something? Roy. Roy Walker. Okay. That's when I used to watch it. That's probably quite a long time ago. I don't know who presents it now. But Mr. Chips is still involved. Stephen Mulhern. Okay, okay. So Stephen Mulhern does it now. We've still got Mr. Chips, but this is a bit of a knockoff, Mr. Chips. I found some stuff online. It's a bit of a knockoff, Mr. Chips. All right, so we'll see how it goes. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds on each one, and we'll hope and pray that we don't get into any copyright issues on YouTube. Okay, so this is number one. We're going to go through the answers in a sec. And I'll get you to um, shout them out and see if you know what they are. Put your money where your mouth is. Okay, so we're going to go through them first, and then we'll do the answers in a sec. But that one is put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> right. Don't shout out yet, okay? What's this one? Okay, so we know Paul's got one, but let's keep your scores. Keep your scores to yourselves. Okay. So this one's a little bit more difficult. Okay, we've had a look at that one. They get, I think they get progressively harder as you go on. I think this might be one of the harder ones. Yeah, get progressively harder. <laughs> Paul's got one. And then this one. Some of them might be kind of linked in with what we're going to look at tonight. Not to give any more clues. Okay, I had a good look at that one. I think we know what it is. Okay. Wonder how many you think you've got. Number one. Put your money where your mouth is. Okay, super. Okie dokie. Number two. Anybody think they got what this one was? Surfing the web. Well done. I didn't think I looked massively like a surfboard, but I didn't actually get that one before I looked at the answer. There you go. It is a surfboard, apparently, and he's surfing the web. Anyone know this one is? Cost an arm and a leg. Well done, if you got that one. I think that one's quite hard. How about this one? 
It's not out with the old in with the new. Chip off the old block. Well done, if you got that. Chip off the old block. What about this one? Fall on deaf ears. Hold on. Uh, it's the last one. Keep it under your hat. Well done. Well done. Did anybody get all of them? Does anybody think they got all of them right? Oh, okay. All right. I was really worried that either like no one was going to put their hand up or everybody was going to put their hand up. More that everyone was going to put their hand up. Okay. Fantastic. So hopefully that's got your mind kind of um, running around in and around what we're going to look at tonight. So I've called the talk Sticks and Stones. Famous saying, of which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This is a phrase that we know now, uh, well, we know not to be true, don't we? We know that this isn't true. We know that sometimes the words that we say can have the power to do fantastic things and do a lot of good, but also our words sometimes can hurt people and can cause problems. And sometimes the words that people say to us can hurt us and cause problems. And in the end of chapter one here, and then going into chapter two and chapter three, James starts to unpack. This is kind of like a bit of a theme over the next few chapters. And we're going to look at it in a bit more depth uh, as we go through the end of chapter two and we go into chapter three. But tonight, we're just going to start looking at it a little bit in how we use our words, how we conduct ourselves uh, as disciples and followers of Jesus. And not just how we use them, but as I've just said, the power that they have and the way that we need to be careful with what we say and really think it through before we say it. Now, I've got a story for you. Um, a friend of mine, um, who's been a best friend of mine for a long, long time, um, since uh, year seven in school, um, he uh, would describe himself as an atheist, somebody that doesn't believe in God, and he's quite a, um, quite a serious atheist, very well-read, um, and me and him, when, when I became a Christian around about the age of uh, 17, 18, uh, me and this friend would regularly have debates about Christianity and faith and, and stuff. And um, myself and this friend uh, went out um, on uh, just for a few drinks one night. We just went into town. We went to a place that our band used to play at, and we just went and had a, just thought, let's go out, let's just have some drinks, let's spend some time together, both free. And we ended up having a conversation that night about faith and, and religion and, and, and talking about all this sort of stuff. And I think I'd just started, uh, I'd been about a year, I'd been interning for the church. So I'd been, uh, I'd been studying at Bible College and, and doing my placement here at church. And the argument got very sort of heated and it didn't go very well. Uh, you know, the conversation, it wasn't going massively well. And I was saying things that I didn't want to say. And I'm sure he was saying things as well that he didn't want to say. And we left that night, and I remember the last thing that I said to him. The last thing I said to him was, I feel sorry for you. And when the words left my mouth, immediately I thought, what an awful thing to have said. <laughs> what an awful thing to have said. And he said to me, I feel sorry for you too. And what he meant by that was, he didn't, you know, he's an atheist, he didn't believe in God. He felt like I was putting my life into something and working and, and devoting myself towards something that didn't exist. And for him, that's why he was saying he felt sorry for me. And I can understand that from his perspective. Obviously, I don't feel that way. But I could understand that from his perspective. 
And I'd said to him, I felt sorry for him for not having a faith. And I just immediately, when the words came out of my mouth, I thought, what a silly, silly thing to have said. We went home. Uh, I went to, went to bed that night. I woke up the next morning. And I opened my Bible, read my Bible that morning. And I felt, you know, I haven't felt God speak as strongly to me as he did that morning. It, you know, it's happened perhaps two or three times in my life. And I did feel a little bit like what we are talking about at the beginning of the service, just in a point of desperation. I didn't think my friendship with this guy was over, but I felt like, you know, it hadn't gone well, the conversation. It was really, there was stuff that had been said badly. And I just felt God say in that moment, I just want you to love him the best that you can. I want you to be the best friend that you can. And from that moment on, we've had other conversations about faith and other things have happened and we've had discussions and they've been pleasant, but I felt God really strongly speak to me in that moment. Now that's an example in my life of where I didn't use my words hugely well. And um, that has stuck with me to a certain extent and it's made me realise how important it is that when I talk to my friends, when I talk to my family, and I don't get that right all the time, my mum and dad will tell you that, but when I do that, that I want to use my words really, really well. I don't know whether any of us can relate to that, similar, uh, perhaps similar experiences. So anyway, scripture uh, from James chapter 1, 19 to 21 is what we're going to look at tonight, and if you've got a Bible, James chapter 1, 19 to 21, the words uh, that James writes say this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So slightly differently tonight from what kind of I uncomfortable doing when I preach, is I'm going to just look at each tiny little bit. Like I said about James being really kind of, there have been a lot to pull out of it. I'm just going to go through each tiny little section um, and just comment on what I think it might be saying to us. And then I've just got a few, hopefully, really practical ways, because tonight isn't really, like I said, about going away and discussing this theologically too much. It's just about figuring out how we do it in our lives. How do we actually physically practice this stuff? How do we really get to grips with doing it? Okay. So firstly, James says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Uh, I was talking to my brother-in-law, Paul, in the house uh, last week, and as I was sort of going through this and sort of working it out, it crossed my mind how often, in, particularly in the New Testament, is what I was trying to think through, does the word, do the words take note of this before somebody's about to say something or listen appear? And um, I couldn't really, I, I didn't think it was loads, but I didn't know whether it was like, it was quite a few or it wasn't quite a few. I don't know whether anybody else would be able to enlighten me after the service or go away and have a look. But how often does it say take note of this or listen? And um, we do a Bible study with some young guys on, on Monday night. Um, and that's a real privilege, really fantastic to be able to do that. And this uh, week just gone, uh, we did uh, a parable of the sower. And um, right at the beginning, uh, many of us will be familiar with the parable of the sower, Jesus teaching, stood on a boat uh, in the water, and um, he's teaching to, to loads of folks who stood on the shore. 
And you know what the first thing he says is? The first thing he says is, listen. And I felt like, after having that conversation with, uh, with Paul, and then after thinking about it myself, the first then bit of scripture that I studied with guys afterwards, Jesus says, listen. And James says right at the beginning of this, take note, listen. What I'm about to say to you is really, really important. We talk a lot about repetition in scripture and that being really, really important. But when he says take note of this, it's literally like take notes. Like literally you're going to want to remember what I'm about to say next. And that might create a sense of um, expectation perhaps in us about what the words are that are going to become becoming next. Um, and then the words that come next to this, everybody should be quick to listen. A lack of listening, or being bad at listening, then, is going to lead us somewhere unhelpful, is what we have to deduce from this. Either to ourselves not learning, putting ourselves in danger maybe, or others in danger. You know, my son Zion, there really is no tricking children. My son's about seven, and I work with young people as well, and there's no fooling people or trying to pretend. I was walking to school with Zion, my son. We do the school run every morning, Monday to Friday. And I often wake up, and I'm the sort of person, I've got a lot on my mind, and I'm thinking stuff over, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of mulling stuff over in my head. And we're walking to school, and it's freezing, and we've got the dog now, I'm walking the dog. We've got a lot to think about. And Zion's talking, you know. And he said to me, Dad, I know you're not listening to me. <laughs> and do you know what? He was right. There really is no trick in children. I was not listening to him. I was far too bothered about the own worries in my mind and the own things I had going on. And uh, I wasn't focused or purposeful with him. I wasn't interested at that moment in building my relationship with him like I should have been. And I was being a bad listener. And I believe God wants us to be good listeners. I believe he wants us to be people that sit down with folks and really, really listen. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but sometimes I feel that listening can often be something that we see as like a gift that some people have and some people don't possess. It's like, oh, they're a good listener. Do you know what I mean? They're good at that. I'm not. You know, they're, they're a really good listener. And sometimes I think we can then get lazy or miss the fact that actually listening is something, it's a skill. Like it can be developed, it can be improved. We can get better at listening. I'm going to look a little bit later on about ways to actually actively get better at listening. And, uh, and yeah, get ourselves in a place where we listen better. We can become better listeners. And also James uses a little bit later on, he talks about our words and he talks about God's word. And he uses those two things uh, kind of uh, as examples, and um, he sort of plays around between them and tries to get us to think of those two things. And how actively are we pursuing, seeking, listening, listening to God and his word, his mind, his will for our lives? How well are we waiting and listening? Okay, quick to listen, slow to speak. I was once on a youth weekend away and I heard somebody, uh, nobody here, um, nobody that um, has worked at this church, but somebody else, talking to a young person about this verse. And the young person said, what does it mean to be slow to speak? And they said, I don't know. Maybe they just spoke slower in those days. <laughs> <laughs> and in a way, at that moment, I was kind of like, oh. 
I was thought, how fantastic that they were just involved in that conversation, just having that conversation, like and just talking about this. It doesn't mean speak slower, like, you know, slower. But what it does mean is think before you speak. We need to think before we speak. Be careful how we use our words, because as we've just talked about, they have an effect. They've got a certain power. Sticks and stones will break uh, my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know this isn't true. Our words have real potential for good, but also for not so good if we don't use them very well. James says, be slow to speak because he knows that words in haste, without thinking them through, probably have the potential to cause the most hurt. How much in the heat of the moment do we stop and think about what we're about to say next? I think I'm pretty good at thinking about what I've said. Only after I've said it. Like, after I've said it. I'm regretting it. I'm thinking over in my mind... Why did I say that like that? Why did I say that? And I do that all the time. And I'm the sort of person that worries. And I do think about those types of things. How much would my life be transformed when I think before I say something instead of only worrying about it afterwards? Slow to speak gives us the opportunity to be fair and more purposeful with our words rather than hasty and flippant. An opportunity to be gentle rather than harsh. Me and my wife, Deb, um, who many of you will know, have just taken on the marriage preparation work for our um, church. I've got the privilege of meeting uh, with a couple at the moment, and it's been absolutely fantastic. We really love doing it. Um, and me and my wife, Deb, have been um, watching the videos in preparation for the sessions so that we know um, what's going to come up. And that's been really, really good for us too, to go over that stuff again. Uh, we've had a lot of discussions ourselves about the videos and the stuff that's on them. And um, the last one that we did, or the one before the last one, I can't remember, was all about conflict. And um, there was a really fantastic thing in it, which I'd, we've never used this, but it's just absolutely brilliant, I thought. It's the 10 o'clock rule. And I think this applies not just to married couples, but like to anybody having a discussion, you could fit in a 10 o'clock rule however you wanted. But the idea of this rule is that if you're having a discussion, um, as a wife and a husband or as friends or whatever, and it goes past a certain time, 10 o'clock, they say, any one of the couple can then say, right, 10 o'clock rule, I'm putting that in now, and we've got to lay this down, and we've got to pick it up at a different time. And f I'll be honest, firstly, when we watched that and we heard that, I was like, I would hate that so much. <laughs> Because I'm the type of person, I don't like to leave things unresolved. I don't like it. And then as we watched it more and more, the more I thought, you know what, actually, I need something like that then. If I don't want to do that, then I need to put something like that in. Um, and yeah, the idea is that you lay it down, so you go, okay, we're not going to carry on discussing this now. We're going to discuss it at another time when it's better. Because perhaps we're tired, um, perhaps this has just gone on too long, and it's to stop yourself saying something that is irretrievable or you're going to regret saying later. Just to put that in there to try and help you say things with purpose and to be fair. Instead of saying things like we just said flippantly or, um, or not very well. Do we give ourselves time and space to think about what we're going to say instead of saying things when we're tired or we're frustrated? 
that we potentially will later regret? How can we be better in the heat of the moment, thinking before we speak, so as not to hurt the people that we love when we talk? Slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It says, yeah, for anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. No, slow to anger, not do not be angry. There is clearly a time and a place for us to be angry. There are things that happen in this world that we should be angry about, that should make us angry, that should make us not feel good. I feel like Paul puts it well in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. And then he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger, a phrase many of us would be familiar with. And another translation, which is just put more simply, he says, be angry, but don't sin. There's a time and a place for us to be angry. But there's a time and a place for us not to be angry. And a way that we conduct ourselves when we're angry that isn't okay. And I was talking to somebody this morning uh, in church. And we're just talking about practicing this as Christians and doing this well. I feel personally so important at the moment. I see so much anger and frustration in the world. And just the internet, social media, just the anger and the frustration that there is in and around at the moment. And I feel like it's our place to show a different way, to show a better way that isn't flippant and angry, but instead deals in a self-controlled and a purposeful way. N.T. Wright says this regarding to being slow to anger. I just love this. Uh, N.T. Wright's a famous theologian, and um, he said this way better definitely than I could. Uh, So I just want to read this to you. He says, the point is this, be slow to anger as we are slow to speak. If what we want is God's justice, okay, so we just talked about some of the things in this world that we should be angry about, injustice and people suffering and hate being shown rather than love and people being treated badly. These are the things that should make us angry and upset. And N.T. Wright says, if what we want is God's justice coming in to sort things out, we will do better in our humanness to get entirely out of the way and let God do his own work rather than supposing our burst of anger, and he says, which will most likely have all sorts of nasty bits to it, such as wounded pride, malice, and envy, will somehow help God do what needs to be done. Our anger and our bad-temperedness gets in the way. It doesn't help God do what he needs to do. Our bad-temperedness and our frustration, James says, it just gets in the way. So, three things there just to take note on before we just move on to the last little bit. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. These three things aren't written in this passage to be in isolation from one another. They're connected, and they're meant to be together, and James means them to be together when he writes them. I genuinely believe that if we work on being better listeners and being slow to speak, that that transforms our anger or goes a really, really long way 
to transforming our bad-temperedness. If we listen to folks better, if we speak better, I believe that goes a long, long way to sorting out our anger, transforms it. So these things aren't in isolation. We then go on to the last little section of these verses. And then we're just going to go on to two or three things just to help us kind of practice this stuff out. So the final bit, James says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil and that's so prevalent. We've just talked about the things that make us angry in the world. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. We're going to talk about that next time as well because it really hands itself to the next little bit uh, that we're not looking at tonight. But God's word and being planted in it. James talks about accepting God's word planted in you. Uh, I was talking to Donald earlier in the week and this phrase just kept coming round and round and round that God's word, his love, his grace and his mercy. If we're planted in God's love, grace and mercy, I believe that also transforms our bad temper and our anger and the problems that we have with those things. James talks about God's word like a seed, and we talked about the parable of the sower that we were looking at with the lads on Monday. Really similar picture that Jesus paints there of a farmer just scattering seed. Some of it lands in some bad soil and some bad places. Some of it lands on good soil. And James uses that same image here of a seed that's just planted to hopefully flourish and grow and become something fantastic. And to reap a harvest that's like tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, something like the, the parable of the sower says. The seed is planted to grow. And I believe that if we, are, we plant ourselves, we root ourselves in God's love, his grace, and his mercy, then these things are transformed. And not only transformed, but we then live a life that wants to extend that grace, that mercy, that love, to other people. We don't want them to get our, our bad temper or to be on the end of our bad words. We want them to receive the love and the grace and the mercy that God has for them. And then just on the, on the bit beforehand as well, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. God wants us to live pure lives he does, and I think that's worth saying. He wants us to live a life of obedience to him in purity. And I actually made a mistake in my last sermon, and I feel like I've got a chance now to write it and to, uh, and to talk to you about it. I made a mistake. I said, I was talking about chapter four of James and a little bit of chapter four in James. And from my last sermon, I was talking about if we uh, are facing temptation, sometimes it's better to flee temptation. It's better to just get out of the way of it. And I believe that's true. still believe that's true. And in that, trying to remember a verse from, from James four, which I should never do. I should always have it written down in front of me. It's never good for me to ad lib. Um, in my memory, I said in that moment that we should flee temptation and then um, we resist Satan in that way. And the verse actually says something completely different to that. And I read it again, and I was like blown away because it, it fits in so perfectly here as well. And all, a lot of James is linked and, and all kind of comes back over itself. But what the verse actually says is that if we stand up to the temptation in our lives, 
If we stand up to the difficulties and the issues, Satan flees us. That's what it actually says. And if you seek to live an obedient, pure life for God, Satan can't touch you. He can't touch you. So I believe that bit's important as well, to live that life of obedience and purity. God wants us to live purely and accept and live in his word, his grace, his mercy that he plants in us. So just really quickly then, why and how do we put this stuff into practice? I've just got three um, really quick things for us to, uh, to look at. So firstly, learning to listen, speak well and be slow to anger. Just some really practical stuff that it might help you to practice and, and to do. Uh, and these are things that I'm going to try out and I'm going to try and work on too. So yeah, whilst there's a place for righteous anger, how do we stop ourselves from speaking too quickly and saying things that we don't mean that are irretrievable? Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But think before we say something. Why am I about to say this? Why am I about to say this thing that I'm going to say? Am I trying to say this to intentionally cause harm to the person I'm talking to or just to some situation or something that's going on? Am I going to regret saying this in the future? Is this going to be something that six months, excuse me, down the line, I'm going to re-regret having said that? Or just like me, like I talked about earlier, in bed at night tonight, I'm going to regret having said that and I'm going to be thinking it over. Am I going to regret saying this? Is what I'm saying, and Donald alluded to this last week, the Renewal Sunday. If you haven't watched Donald's sermon from last week, really recommend going and watching. On, I think it's on YouTube, isn't it? It's on YouTube. Um, Donald was just talking about he talked quite a bit about some of the criticisms that are said about Christians, which I thought was really powerful, and then sort of used it in parallel to how we can make disciples, then talked about how we make disciples as a church. And I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And it really struck me at how many of the things that were written there were actually about ways in which we conduct ourselves and we speak and we are in relationship with each other. It just struck me again. But one of the things that Donald really said that stuck out to me was, how do we know when we're passing on information, whether it's true or not? whether actually what we're saying to people is, is the truth. And one of the things I think we have to think before we say something to somebody is, is this even actually true? Is what I'm saying to this person factually true? Is it true about them? Is it true about me? Do I really feel this way? Then what are we surrounding ourselves with? I had a friend at Bible college who um, he used to listen to quite a lot of heavy metal and rock music. And um, he's a really good friend at Bible College. And, and we used to talk, we used to do accountability together. And one of the things that he did was he actually stopped listening to that type of music because he realized it was actually contributing to him feeling angry. So he just stopped. He was just like, this isn't making me feel good. I don't want to do it. It's making me feel angry. It's making me use words I don't want to use. Um, and I don't, I don't want to do it. So are we surrounding ourselves with things that build us up? And, yeah, build us up in God. Are they positive? Or are we finding that they're actually making us feel not great? And then listening, well. Number one for me is getting rid of distractions. And sometimes that can mean, like I was talking about with Zion, not thinking things over in my head and, and working things out. But number one for me, and I've got it in my pocket at the moment, is this thing. <laughs> this thing is a massive distraction. 
It's in my pocket and not on here, because if it was on here, I would have probably had to stop about six or seven times because my mind is just wired to look at it. And we all know that, don't we? We all know our minds are wired now to look at our phones because they're so well designed and they're so well to, like, made to capture your attention at any moment. And when I'm trying to listen to somebody, I want that to be away for me because I know what a distraction it is for me. So, and I also want to work on my concentration span being better. I notice that I drift off and I don't concentrate. I'm not great at that. And that's, again, like listening, a skill that can be developed. I can in, like, increase my attention span if I put in the work and I think about it. So that's something that I want to do. I want to be able to focus properly on people and give them the time and the attention they deserve. Sometimes listening better, being a better listener, is about talking less, not talking as much. When we worry situations might become a bit awkward or... Um, we might just be too self-centred and want to talk about ourselves all the time. Sometimes listening better is about actually ourselves talking less. And one of the things in that is don't be afraid of there being silence if you're talking to somebody. Like, it's fine. What's the worst that can happen? Bit of awkwardness is all right. I'm an incredibly awkward person. But it's all right to be silent for a while. Are we more interested in what we've got to say than what the person speaking to us has got to say? How many times have you caught yourself in a conversation or perhaps an argument with somebody, a partner, a friend, whoever it is, where you're thinking about what you're going to say while they're still talking? You're thinking about the response that you're going to give before they've like, finished talking. You're not listening to them. You're just thinking about what you want to say. I do that all the time. All the time. Okay. Don't be worried about silence. Learn to ask good questions. It's another thing as well. Some of the friends that I had, there was a lad at my school uh, who's a good friend of mine still. He's a really good listener. Um, and the reason he was a good listener was because he always used to ask fantastic questions. And he'd listen to the answer. He really would. Can we learn to be better at asking good questions and be interested in people's lives? Okay. So there's just a few practical things there. Learning to get out of the way. This one's a bit more simple. I'm not going to spend ages on this. As N.T. Wright said in our little, uh, little quote earlier, sometimes we do better just to get out of the way and let God get in. But how do we actually get out of the way? Like, what does that mean, get out of the way and let God come in? Well, it's just one thing that I'd suggest doing. And for me, this is something that I'm going to really try and practice as well, which is just in the morning, a simple prayer of saying, God, how can you use me today? I want to be used by you. I want to be led by you. I don't want this day to be about me. One of the other things Donald talked about uh, last weekend was he had a little slide up which was just like less of this, less of this, less of this, less of this, and more of Jesus. And that really spoke to me as well. Because sometimes I need to pray a prayer in my life which says, Lord, I want this day to be less about me and more about you. And that's just me getting out of the way and saying, God, I want you to take the lead. Because sometimes when we try and take the lead... It doesn't really work out too well. Simple prayer each morning. God, how can you use me today? Are we spending time in Scripture and reading God's Word? Spending time doing that. Finding out how he feels about us. Finding out what he's about. And are we talking to God? Are we communicating with him about our day? What's happened? How do we feel? What's been going on? 
Do you talk to God about the worries that are on your heart? Or do you just try and work them out yourself? That's just some of the ways that we can learn to perhaps get out of the way and let God come in. And then lastly, just before we finish together and and do a quick response, just put it, being somebody that others want to copy, and again, last week's sermon, I just feel like, go away and watch that, perhaps not tonight, but another time from Donald, because this is just, he said it way better than I'm going to in this little tiny section, but how can we be the sort of people that other other people want to copy and want to imitate? I genuinely believe that living for Jesus is infectious. When we live well for Jesus, it's infectious. And um, I'm going to be fortunate enough, hopefully, uh, God willing, to go to a proper live golf tournament this year. I love playing golf. It's one of my favourite hobbies, playing my dad a lot. And um, we're going to be able to go to a tournament called the British Masters, which is at the Belfry, which I'm really looking forward to. And um, what I'm really looking forward to, I watch a lot of golf on the telly, And um, what I'm really looking forward to is in the flesh seeing a professional golfer strike a golf ball. And that might sound terribly sad to most of you. I imagine it does. But there is something, just even watching it on the telly, about the way that they hit the ball, sound it makes, flight of the ball, the way their body looks when they kind of finish. It just makes me want to get out onto the golf course and hit a ball like that. That's all it does for me. And I can't wait to go and watch some of the pros hitting shots because I know that I'll want to come home and I want to go out onto the golf course and practice it. How can we be pro golfers for Jesus? <laughs> How can we make people watch what we do and go, I want to be good at that too. I want to do that. Okay, so just to finish, how can we live in that infectious way for Jesus? I do feel, and I've talked about this just a little bit in the middle, that the world is used to already flippant speech, harsh words, unjustified anger. Can we be a people that show something different, swapping flippant words with well-thought-out purposeful ones? Can we swap out unnecessary frustrations, anger, bad temper with God's self-control? and even-temperedness. So let's pursue God's word, become better listeners, avoid hasty speech, and unrighteous anger. Amen. I wonder if we just stand together. The band are going to come back up and um, going to lead us just in a couple of songs. Um, Tonight's very kind of practical. There's a lot of stuff to think about. I just wondered if it would be helpful for folks to be able to just respond. And um, just while we're stood up, and, and perhaps even while we're worshipping, I just wonder if there's either of those three things, being quick to listen and becoming a better listener for God, using our words better for God, and not losing our temper as often and having that unjustified and righteous anger. I wonder if there's, it might be like for me, it's all free, like <laughs> a different day is any one of those things. But it might be for you that one of those just stands out and you just want to bring that to God now and you just want to say, Lord, I really want to be better at this. I really want to, I really want to go at this for you and with you. 
So I wonder, sometimes I just feel like it's helpful just to hold our hands out. If, so if you want to receive um, from God and have his Holy Spirit's help to get better at some of these things, it might just be helpful for you now. I'm just going to pray just before we start, just to hold our hands out in front of us. And if you don't want to, that's absolutely fine. You don't have to do this. There is no pressure to do this. But it's just welcoming, just a way of opening ourselves out to, to the Lord. So I want to pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, thank you that even though we don't deserve it, that you pour your love, your grace, and your mercy out on us over and over and over again. And Lord, we're sorry where we've failed in these areas. We're sorry where we've not listened well. We're sorry where we've spoken too quickly. We're sorry where we've lost our temper. And we ask through your Holy Spirit that you'd give us exactly what we need to tackle some of these things tonight again. That we'd start that journey with you. To be those people that live for you in that infectious way that others want to copy. Lord, I pray that people would just see you through us. Less of us, more of you, Lord. That people would just see you through us and that would be so attractive and infectious, Lord, that people just want to know what you're about. So, Lord, I pray for those of us now yeah, that want to live for you in that way, want to listen well, want to speak well, want to lose our temper less. Pray that you'd help us with those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.